You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Now, it's summertime, and that means it's time to start getting our trail cameras ready and our trail cameras out to start capturing pictures of velvet bucks. And our friends at Exodus are kicking things off with Velvet Fest. Now, what is Velvet Fest? Long story short, Velvet Fest is the opportunity for you to win a variety of different prizes just by purchasing Exodus Trail Cameras, one of the best trail cameras on the market. Now, until July 12th, when you purchase any trail camera, you will be automatically entered into a drawing to win a variety of prizes from companies like Wicked Tree Gear, Maven Rifle Scopes, Tethered Tree Saddles, and of course, Exodus Trail Cameras. Be sure to follow Exodus on Facebook and Instagram, and be sure to visit ExodusOutdoorGear.com for more information on Velvet Fest. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, brought to you by Expedition Archery. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 45, where we talk with Clint Campbell of Skull Brew Coffee. Hello, hello, and thanks again for tuning into the Transition Wild podcast, the number one source for Western big game hunting. Man, elk season is getting close. It really is. It's mid-June. We're approaching late June. It's already July, and you know I'm driving down the roads, I'm driving down the highway, and you know, elk this time of year are just extremely visible. They're down in the low country, they're eating grass, but you get around some of these urban areas and man, the elk are seriously putting on the inches this fall, um, or this summer for this fall. And it just seems like the antlers are really, really big already mid June. Uh, I've seen some that basically have a full frame. They're just kind of, you know, filling out and, and, and growing in a little bit further, but man, it, I, I am I just have a feeling, I don't know I don't know what it is, but I definitely have this feeling that this fall could be a banner year for elk hunting. I just feel like the conditions are right. It was kind of a down year last year because of the drought in Colorado. This year, knock on wood, cross your fingers, we're off to a great start with the significant snowfall this past winter and then also this spring, it's been really rainy and we've been getting a lot of precipitation. So hope to God that keeps coming. And if it does, I think archery season in Colorado could be lights out. And I'm just putting that on the books right now. <laughs> I'm calling it. I think it's going to be a good year for everybody. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. We'll see. I could be a complete idiot. But if you are planning on hunting in Colorado this fall, Make sure you go to transitionwild.com, subscribe, and I will send you the Colorado Beginner Elk Hunting Guide for free. In there, it's kind of a Kickstarter 101 guide to get you started with elk hunting in Colorado, whether it's archery or rifle. It walks you through you know, where to hunt, when to hunt, draw application process, scouting, um, gear. There's also a number of articles that I've linked to that are really specific towards elk hunting and some of the podcasts that have been really popular as well. So go check it out. You subscribe, give me your email. I will send you the Colorado beginner elk hunting guide for free. So make sure you do that. All right. My podcast today is with my brother, Clint Campbell, and I've had him on the show in the past to talk about actually an elk hunt in Montana. And that was really cool. That was about a year or so ago. 
a year and a half ago, actually. And I've had him back on just because he's got this really cool venture, which you guys have seen me post about, which you've seen me, um, you know, do some uh, articles on and then mention it here in the podcast. But Skull Brew Coffee is, again, a partner of the podcast. But I had Clint on today to talk all about his new venture with Skull Brew Coffee. And it's really, really cool because Clint really lives, eats, and breathes conservation and hunting and giving back to the community and the wildlife that we all love. And this episode was a really, really good, um, I guess, representation of who Clint is as a person and, and what he's doing to get more people involved in hunting and getting more people to think and act accordingly. Um, you know, and not just talk the talk, but how you get people to to also jump on board with conservation. And it was just a really cool episode. And and of course, we talk about the coffee and and the products and and what he's got going on. Um, but really, talk a lot of ways of conservation and ways we can all get involved and give back and and go the extra mile. So that's pretty cool. I really enjoyed this episode. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get Clint Campbell on the line. Before we begin, today's episode is brought to you by Expedition Archery, manufacturer of the world's finest archery experience. Expedition bows combine aerospace level quality, innovative designs, and a fluid feel serious hunters demand. Test drive one today at your nearest archery retailer and view their full lineup at expeditionarchery.com. Why settle for status quo when opportunity and adventure awaits? Make your next hunt an expedition. All right, on the line with us now, we have Clint Campbell of Skull Brew Coffee. How's it going today, Clint? Good, man. How are you doing? I was just saying it's been a little while since we had a had a podcast catch-up, so it's uh, always good to be with you, Mr. Parr. Same here, man. You're, uh, this is your, I think, what, second time on my podcast? So you're a returning I'm, I'm, guest celebrity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a two-time offender, as I like to say. You know, I'm what, I, I might have got... Uh, <laughs> You might have paid my bail the first time and got me out, and so I'm, I'm back again for some more punishments. So <laughs> hey, man, it's always always a good time. Always a good time. Uh, That's right. Yeah, we don't we need to do this more often, even if it's just a straight up, you know, BS talk about whatever. Just uh, it's always a always a fun fun hour with you, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, man. I think I might just need to move to Colorado and just solve the problem for us right there. Hey, that moving solves all of your problems, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would solve it would solve a couple of them. It might cause a few other ones at home, possibly, but you know those can be managed. <laughs> exactly. Well, Colorado's not a bad spot to be. So, hey, whenever right. you can get out here, even if you can't move, come out and do some elk hunting or hiking, yeah. camping. Can't beat it yeah, out I, here. And that's coming up too, man. I think we're going to talk about that. That's that's in the works. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. That's, uh, that's going to be cool. So what, what have you been up to lately? You've been doing any turkey hunting, deer prep, scouting. What's, what's in the life of Clint Campbell right now, man, all the above right now. So turkey season. So I'm a self-admitted, you know, admittedly a terrible turkey hunter. So turkey season for me (laughs) is one of those things where, where I, uh, I get out and I do some turkey hunting, but it's always usually under the guise of of scouting for deer typically i basically take a gun a walk um you know i I used to hunt turkeys with a bow but that was a a miserable failure 
um, during <laughs> during those sessions. So, I t- so I busted back the, the boomstick back out. Um, but it's one of those things like John and I always talk about it, you know, uh, Mulligan, you know, where we're passionate about whitetail hunting and I'm, I'm more of a hobbyist when it comes to turkey hunting. You know, it's like I get out when I can, but I don't prioritize it because, you know, I think like a lot of, you know, whether it's elk hunting or whitetail hunting, whatever the case is, you know, whatever it is you're passionate about, that's kind of what you prioritize. And, you know, for me, it's whitetails. And I, I, I ask a lot of my family during those months of mid-September for me, my season comes in mid-September till you know, the end of January, I ask a lot of my wife during those months to let me just kind of have my weekends to myself and do what I need to do, um, for hunting, you know, from a hunting perspective. And so when spring rolls around and turkey season rolls around, it's like, I, I, I do, I do try to get out, but you know, if there's a family function or something like that, that's happening or a honey do list that needs to be addressed or whatever, I usually just kind of make sure that those things are addressed first. But I did get out. Um, I was actually out yesterday uh, on my dad's property and uh, had a gobbler working uh, first thing in the morning. And then he kind of turned tail after about 30, 40 minutes of, of, of playing around with one another. He decided to head the opposite way out or out the ridge away from me. So that kind of ended that day. Um, you know, I, I was able to get out, I guess two other times I was able to get out. One of them was just a miserable flop where I, I rolled up onto a small piece of property that I thought was going to be really good for turkey season and be overlooked. Um, but I think a bunch of guys had the same idea I did. So I got in, there was already like five trucks there on like a 60 acre piece. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. So I ended up just doing yard work that day, but the good news <laughs> was, <laughs> the good news was, was that, you know, even though Turkey season for me in, in, in terms of filling tags, was kind of a bust. Um, I did learn some stuff like for, for my hunting season here coming up this fall for whitetails, uh, which I was pretty stoked about. So the, the public piece that I, I hunted that there was five guys on. I actually ended up going back and hunting it um, a couple weeks after that, after the season kind of slowed and, you know, people weren't all full of piss and vinegar and ready to get out in the timber and uh, had the place to myself and got to get put a, a good scout on. I didn't hear any birds, but I scouted it also in, I think, March. And I don't know, I think you and I talked like since this, just personally talked, but there was this deer in the swamp that I've been hunting, which is more of a suburban type hunting that I've been doing a lot more of recently around the, you know, uh, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is north of Philadelphia. And uh, I had a, a big deer in the swamp. It's probably like pushing 150 inches. And for Pennsylvania, that's a, a really good wow, deer. Wow, great deer. deer. It's a good, yeah, it's a good deer anywhere. It's a great deer for PA. Um, and there was a couple other nice deer in there that were shooters, but he was the one that kind of stood out. And I lost him after the first couple weeks of the season. Like he just disappeared. Um, a couple of the other ones stuck around, but I never saw him again. And, uh, I wasn't sure where he went. Like I had no clue where he just like, he just vanished uh, nothing on trail camera, nothing. And so I've been kind of, you know, scratching my head trying to figure out where'd this deer, you know, where'd he go to now? It's possible. He got onto some of the private pieces that are around the swamp and I'd maybe never see him just because I don't have access to those pieces and so forth, but they're not real big parcels. So I was like, he would have to at some point come back to that swamp. I would think And this like where I caught him on the camera previously, it's a pretty like, defined trail system like where it's like man you know at some point during the next four months he's got to come through here right yeah and and so but when he was passing through it was weird because he was passing through at odd times at night like he was passing through like nine o'clock in the evening and then he'd pass through it like um when else did i catch him like right before like right right before daylight like gray light probably not even quite shooting light and that was just one time so it wasn't like, I wasn't very close to where he was betting, I don't think, you know what I mean? And so I'm not real sure why it was there. And so I just kind of chalked it up to like, you know, I'll probably never see him again. Or if I do, it'll be very early in the season. And I might have like maybe a week to kill him before he disappears again this year. And so I started scouting this piece 
this March and saw some good deer sign, dropped some pins. I was like, all right, you know, these seemed like pretty good setups and saw some good rubs some scrapes and some defined trails and so forth. It looked like it was going to be a good place. And then I kind of dove into this one area that was really, really thick and started scouting. And I mean, I saw it from far away and I was like, man, is that a rub? And so I walked up on it and dude, I tell you, it's, it's the biggest rub I've ever personally seen in Pennsylvania where it was a cedar tree and it looked like it was like Ohio. Like it was yeah, just shredded. Just shredded. Yeah, it looked like someone took a cheese shredder and just ripped it apart. And as I started looking this in this area, the whole area was tore up like that. And I was like, man, you know, the amount of damage he did to that tree, you know, I'm usually not a person that looks at a rub on a big tree and says big tree, big deer. Like there's, you know, small deer can make a, a, a big size rubber, can rub a, a large tree. But I was like, it takes a big animal outside of rack size. It takes a big animal to kind of rip a tree apart the way he did, you know. Yeah. And so I was like, that has to be a big deer that did that. Just a big, strong deer, regardless of antler size. And uh, and so I started looking on my map. Then I got my, you know, got my map out and started looking at it. And I was like, man, I wonder where where my spot is that I was hunting in that swamp. And so I started looking. So basically, there's, there's this swamp. And if you're working south, right from the the swamp property, there's a swamp. There's a road, right. And then on the other side of that road, there's more swamp. And I scouted all that because that's all uh, public access. And then after that, there's like maybe a quarter mile of of private property right through the timber, right, as the crow flies. And then starts this public piece that I was scouting where I found these rubs. So it was about three quarters to a mile from where I was hunting in that swamp where I found this rub. And I was like, man, I was like, I, was like, I don't know because I don't have any trail camera pictures to prove it. And I don't have any like visual, you know, personal sightings of him on this piece. But I was like, if I were going to bet, I would bet money that this is where he's where he disappeared to just yeah. by the size of sign that I was seeing. So that got me pretty excited. And of course I hung a camera in there. Um, and so hopefully we'll see, you know, see what's, uh, see what happens there. You know, I got, a, I got a camera hung. Well, hopefully we'll, we'll catch him early and I'll hopefully figure out his pattern and, and hopefully get on him. But I got a couple other pieces that I scouted in PA, some public pieces that I'm pretty stoked about. And then, uh, I, I put in for Iowa, so I should draw my Iowa tag this year and uh, was scouting my old man's property yesterday while I was turkey hunting. And there's big deer that live on one side of the property, pretty much just one side of the property for whatever reasons, where I catch them on camera and where I see them on the hoof. And uh, this is only like the third year that we've had it, and this will only be the second season I've hunted it. And uh, I finally found the buck bed that these big, bigger bucks are using on the property. I figured out where they're bedding. I found the bed. And I found the rub line coming to and from the bed. I found like their primary scrape area. So it's like, I kind of put the puzzle pieces together on that property. So if there's a good deer there this year, hopefully I'll have a good chance to get on him. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like, you know, I, I think like spring scouting is, is some of the most underrated, um, you know, tactics as far as a year round and preparing for the fall. And, mm-hmm. and like you said, there's just, there's just little things that you pick up on, even if it's, it's not like you're actually getting a visual on, on certain animals or trail camera pictures. There's just certain little things you pick up on by walking a property and, and understanding how it lays out. And you can only do that with boots on the ground. I feel like you can look at aerials and topos all you want, but until you actually get in there and read that sign, it's, it's a totally different world. So that's cool. You've been diving into that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, you know, my, my dad's property, like I said, but this will be the third year that we've owned it. And first year I just hung cameras on it. I think the last time we talked, I might've just mentioned that where I had, I'd had at that point, I don't think hunted it yeah. hung cameras for a year and just watched it. And then last year was the first year I actually hunted it. I only hunted it three days before I went to Ohio. And, uh, 
I had an encounter with the the biggest deer on the property. You know, I, I ran into him on the second day. I think it was November 1st. I ran into him, um, which was cool. And like in what I had, and so this is when the puzzle pieces started coming together where I had a visual sighting of him. And then I saw like he, so there was a scrape line I was sitting off of. And there was an, like one of the, there were two really nice deer on the property. One was an eight point, one was a nine point. And the eight point came along and worked that scrape. And I, I heard them and he came running by me. I was like, that's weird. I wonder why he's running. And then right behind him came that nine point was running him off his, off of his scrape line. So I never got a shot. And he kind of angled in toward this other piece of timber, this small field edge he kind of crossed on the top of this mountain. It's all mountain ground. And he kind of dove into this like one little brushy, really thick area. And so I watched that. And then I kept watching deer down this logging road kind of pop out of this one area over and over again. And I was like, man, I was like, I wonder what's going on down there. So I was moving sets from the morning to the evening. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to just go make a quick, you know, do a quick scout and try to see if I can't find some hot sign to try to set up on. And so I was like, I'm going to start and go down where I see these deer pop out. And so I walked down there and kind of saw a rub. And I was like, huh, saw another rub, saw another rub. And I looked inside this little grove of like oak trees and there was just rubs all over the place in there. There were probably six scrapes within like a a 10 yard area that was just like tore up. Like one of them was like a huge scrape underneath this brush. And all the rubs, like the shavings, were all still laying on the ground. So that, that just happened. Like, that was still pretty fresh because it was pretty windy. Um, and I was like, you know, bingo. But, you know, I was being stubborn, so I ended up doing more scout because I was like, oh, I bet you his bedding's back here. <laughs> so I started pushing him <laughs> further. And uh, when I should have just set up there and ended, ended up kind of screwing myself. But the moral of the story was, like, that was the puzzle piece. And so then I kind of figured out where his, where the main, what I'll call the dominant buck on the property where his core area is on that property or where he spends his time. And maybe, and it took me two different scouts to find it, but maybe 70 yards past that in this brush, like I found is where I found his bed yesterday. So I knew it was in there somewhere. I just couldn't seem to locate it the previous two times I was in there, but finally found it yesterday. So pretty stoked about that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Exciting things to come for the fall. And you said you're putting in some food plots too recently, right? Yeah, so that was another when we were when we were talking pre-record. I was like, things were kind of a disaster this weekend. That was the second part of the disaster. Was I got here and we were get <laughs> we were going to put in on this piece. We have a small food plot that we have because this piece is only about sixty acres, and we have a small small food plot we did last year and just a bunch of fall you know uh, fall crops. And when I say a small plot, it's about three quarters of an acre, and. Uh, we were going to do that again this year, but this year I was like, you know what? I'm going to put in some soybeans and then, you know, as soon as the soybeans turn yellow, I'm going to go in and I'm going to overseed, you know, a crop of wheat, um, in there as well, you know, or oats rather, I'm sorry, oats. And we went in there to try to tear it up. We just don't have the equipment to do it. We have a, you know, a side by side with like a tiller or a, a disc on the back. And I didn't spray the, the field to kill anything. So the green vegetation was keeping the moisture in the ground, which was getting bound up in our, in our disc. And so it was just, you know, I had, frost seeded a bunch of clover this past uh this past winter as well and when i limed and fertilized and, and it just that clover came up with a vengeance so i just kind of told my old man i was like you know what let's scrap the the soybeans <laughs> for this year we're gonna just leave it in clover for this year and then i think there's a field on the top of the property that's a couple acres um and so i think we're gonna take probably like i don't know probably two acres of that next year and we're gonna start planting now and we're gonna get a tractor because this is like my dad's recreational property so he needs a he needs some equipment there to like move snow and do some stuff so i think we're gonna get a tractor and i'm gonna build a crimper and i think we're gonna use the buffalo method like the organic method of farming and do 
a soybean plot there next year um, by doing a no-till drill seeding. Nice. So that, yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of planning long-term. I'd like to burn that field first, but you know, we'll see if the old man's up for me playing with fire or not. <laughs> yeah, that can always uh, that can always turn out to be a, a, another rodeo in itself. Sometimes I've heard stories <laughs> yeah. of, of stuff getting away, but uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's still yeah. pretty cool, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I would try to bring in someone that knew what they were doing, but you know, he's he's usually game for it. I think he's building a cabin up there, so it's like it depends if the cabin's in or not. If if the cabin's not in, I'm sure he he probably won't mind. But if he just built a cabin there and he and I ask him, hey, I'd like to set two acres on fire. Are you cool with that? Probably not. <laughs> so <laughs> well you never know you never know yeah yeah well cool man well it sounds like you got a lot of stuff going on and and a lot of preparation for this coming fall and sounds like you're a busy man and uh you know that's awesome that you're still all the things that are going on and all the all the stuff that you're doing you still find time to get out in the field and that's and that's really cool um i i sometimes yeah. struggle with that i i like i kind of get caught up in doing more stuff like either writing articles, recording podcasts, and then I got my other pet projects I'm working on and home stuff to take care of. But sometimes I lose focus of what's really important, and, and I find like I just need to tell myself and actually do it to get outside more and enjoy this time yeah. of year because I struggle with that. Yeah, and I'm, 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 I'm there with you, man, because, I mean, as you know, it's like the podcast takes up a good bit of time and stuff like that. And actually, I was writing an article, like, as as you and I were getting ready to podcast, because, like, I had some quiet time, so I was like, I need to knock out a couple of these articles that I've promised people. Yeah. So I was working on that. But the one thing that I've done this year a little bit of is, you know, um, not that we talk necessarily business, but it's like, you know, running a podcast and writing articles and stuff like that, it's like you have folks that you're affiliated with, sponsors or whatever the case might be, or partners, as I like to refer refer to them. You know, and this year I just kind of made a conscious effort to, you know, prioritize like the, you know, folks who are, you know, our true partners and our like friends that own businesses and stuff like that and and continue to work with those folks. Because what I found was, is I was stretching myself really thin of doing stuff for folks who really, I'm just going to be brutally honest and say like, they, they didn't really care if I was, you know, part of their, part of their network or not. You yeah. Know what I mean, it was kind of the, the net net of it. And so I was like, you know what, I'm spending a lot of time doing photos and Instagram posts and all this stuff and editing, you know, additional editing with podcasts to get mentions in for these folks. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, they, they're not interested in me per se versus my platform. And I would rather be with people who, you know, really want to be a true partner. And so that was, I, I kind of trimmed the roster and that has given me a lot more time to kind of get out and, and, and do more stuff. And that was kind of like a conscious effort where I was like, you know, if I want to have the type of hunts I want to have, whether it's, you know, talking to you and planning to come out to hunt elk and, you know, not this fall, but the next, you know, or getting ready to go to Iowa this year with the hunt with Johnny, you know, and, and, or just finding new pieces around my house and stuff like that, you know, that have good deer on it. It's, if I want to have quality hunts and I got to put quality time in, you know, during the other parts of the year to do that, um, so I can prioritize my hunts the best, you know, and so, that was kind of what I did because I, I was in the same catch 22 you were. It's like I was trying to help too many. I don't want to say too many people, but I was spending more time, you know, not helping myself. Um, yeah. And, and doing stuff for for other entities that wasn't necessarily fully reciprocal, you know, necessarily. And so I decided I was like, you know what? I need to take my time back and kind of prioritize what it is I want to what I want to do. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that that's makes- where I netted out. That makes total sense. Good uh, words of wisdom there. And and while we're kind of on that topic, tell us a little bit about Truth From the Stand. I know we had you on the podcast. I don't even know when that was, like a year, 
year or so ago, um, maybe yeah. longer, a year and a half ago. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about it then, but, you know, give us the background on, on your platform and, and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's Truth From Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. You know, we talk uh, a lot of deer hunting, of course. There'll be a little bit of elk talk and stuff like that whenever September rolls around because, you know, I've got some buddies like you who are, you know, that live out west and so forth. And I try to have guys like you and my other buddy that I hunt with out in Montana, Luke Scheimer. I try to have him on, you know, actually I'm going to have him on coming up um, and just talk, you know, some western hunting because I do like it. I'm kind of uh, slightly obsessed with it in terms of it's it's one of those things where whitetails are my passion, but I could easily be persuaded to replace that passion with elk hunting. I think. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> if, the op- if the opportunities were just more uh, readily available to me. Um, you know, but we do talk a lot about deer hunting strategy and, you know, I've had guys on like, you know, the Dan N faults of the world and, you know, the Cody DeQuistos and, and guys like that. But, you know, more so I think what I'm doing more of now is, um, we're still doing the, some of the strategy conversation, but I'm always, I'm trying to weave in more of like a cultural conversation too. Um, you know, specifically around why we hunt as hunters, because, you know, I don't think we're telling any tales out of school and saying things that people don't know. When we say hunter numbers are dwindling, you know, that's been kind of ongoing for a while. But, you know, I think the the question of why we hunt is is a simple question, but it's it's a nuanced and complex answer that usually people will give you. And the reason why I ask that question with guests that I have on is because I'm still searching for, like, the ultimate answer for myself as to why I hunt because it's a, there's a lot of reasons why I hunt. And I'm trying to come up with how to articulate why it is that I hunt specifically. Um, and so hearing other people's perspectives helps me, but it also, what I'm hoping is, is that as people hear other people articulate the reasons why they hunt, um, I'm hoping it makes people kind of stop and pause and have a deeper thought about the meaning of hunting to them. And then that way, when someone, when they have a, hunt, a conversation about hunting with someone who maybe isn't a hunter, they'll have had the opportunity to kind of have put some thoughts together to where they communicate it in a way that that person can understand. Um, and then also kind of, um, relate a little bit right and and then helping people i guess put their best hunting foot forward um so we're always kind of making sure that we're positioning ourselves in the best light to those who are not hunters so that's kind of like how the podcast i guess is pivoting as it's going into year four uh, it's crazy that i've been doing it for four years but um <laughs> yeah. so that's how that's how i'm starting to pivot now a little bit is starting to do a little bit more lifestyle stuff like i just had a super cool dude on this past week Corey williamson um it was for memorial day he was a, a an afghanistan combat vet um, saw some crazy stuff and we talked about what hunting meant to him and stuff like that. And it was pretty heavy, man, for a guy that went through as much stuff as he went through, you know, he has a totally different perspective of what hunting means to him and, and what it's done for his life, um, outside of just like the sport, you know what I mean? And so I think it's important to hear like those reasons for people, you know, why they hunt and what it means to them. Cause I think it gives us a deeper appreciation for the, you know, for the privilege that we have. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. And, and to your point too, it's like the, the tactics and strategies are cool and, and are, are very helpful and people love that because there's all different stages of listeners or where they're at with their, their hunting and, and kind of, you know, different phases that you go through, but at the same time, you know, also incorporating in some of the, the whys and the, you know, the backgrounds and the, and just the general culture lifestyle of hunting. I think that's, that's a good mix up. And I think people are really drawn to that. At least myself, you know, I, I, 
I like listening to podcasts, but for me at, at my stage, I want to hear more of that lifestyle stuff, the cultural stuff, um, you know, inspiring stuff, uh, people getting more involved or bringing new hunters into the sport or our way of life. And, and I think we need a little bit more of that at this time in, in kind of hunting as a whole. So that's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and what kind of got me thinking about it was, is, uh, I was actually having a conversation with Cody the one day about it and we were just shooting the breeze on the phone and I started thinking about just the culture of hunting in general. And, you know, I, you know, I work in marketing and advertising for a living. So it's like, I'm always kind of digging at questions around culture and behavior and attitudes and stuff like that as like a strategist and stuff like that for, for advertising. So I'm always kind of, you know, thinking in that way for work. And so it just is natural for me to kind of think similarly whenever I'm thinking about things that I'm passionate about too. Um, I use the same type of skills to kind of decode and break down problems and find solutions and stuff like that. So I started thinking about the crux of, you know, why are hunter numbers dwindling? Like, where's the rub, right? Like why out, outside of like, people will say like, there's more technology now. So kids aren't going outside. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there, you could find reasons too, whenever we were kids growing up to not go outside. I mean, we had Nintendo, you know what I mean? We had Segas, we had, you know, whatever MTV, like all that stuff. Right. But for some reason I was still able to, to get outside. And the one thing I kind of started thinking about was like the demo of the country has changed as far as like where people live. You know, it, when yeah. you look at the, when you look at the country 20, 30 years ago, you know, yes, you still had these mass populous areas around, you know, uh, urban areas, like whether it was Philadelphia, you know, Pittsburgh, Denver, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of some Western ones, you know, that are, that are relevant, but just, you know, around Metro areas. Right. But you still, at that point, you still had job opportunities and people could make a living in rural areas to, to a degree. Right. Yeah. And even in just in my lifetime, it's like, I've seen like this, you know, my hometown and like the adjacent towns, which were built on, you know, um, you know, factory type work, which my family did all growing up or farming, which, you know, we did growing up and, and, you know, uh, logging and stuff like that. Those types of, industries and they're just not as plentiful as they once were and and it's harder to raise a family on those types of you know on in those jobs so to speak and so you know people are leaving rural areas for you know the job centers which are those urban or suburban areas right and so you're having this drain from rural areas and so you know people that are our age are having kids right and when they're having their kids they're not growing up in rural Pennsylvania, like I did, they're growing up in suburban Pennsylvania, like where I live now, you know, and that's kind of what's happening. And so, and that's a long way to say, so like the same things don't hold true that held true 20 years ago, as far as like, what's going to interest Johnny, the 15 year old kid. Right. Yeah. And part of it is, is because he's exposed to all these new things. And so, you know, one thing that I was kind of thinking of is I was like, you know, kids have access to so much now, like they're so culturally diverse. So you have to figure out a way to give from a hunting perspective, and I framed it this way, John and I actually talked about this, where I was like, if you're a 15-year-old kid living in the suburbs of Chicago, right, and would like to get into hunting, but maybe you skateboard and maybe you do something else, I don't know. And you're and and you don't you're not uh, you're new to hunting, so you're not in like the underground of hunting, like the DIY of hunting, like where it's like you don't know of like, you know, a Cody DeQuisto or something like that who does skateboard and is, you know, tattooed from head to toe and like he's a cool dude, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, what you know from hunting is what you see on the outdoor channel. So you're looking at like the Drury's and, you know, Lindsay Way and like, I'm talking whitetails now, you know, or yeah. even like go Western, like the Jason Matzingers, right? And Jason might be a little bit of an outlier, but, you know, so you're looking at guys that like historically look like hunting, right? And that kid's looking, that 15 year old kid that skateboards listening to punk rock who wants to hunt, 
looks at Terry Drury and is like, and no disrespect to the Drury's because they're, I think they, you know, are, are great for the industry, but they look at them and go, that guy looks nothing like me. How could I ever yeah. be a hunter? You yeah. Know what I mean, like, I have nothing, if that's what hunting is, I've got nothing in common with those people, you know? And so we have to figure out a way to infiltrate some of these subcultures because for all intents and purpose, purposes, you know, hunting is a subculture. It's a counterculture. It's not the mainstream any longer. You know, to yeah. be, we don't make up mainstream America any longer. Um, and so I think we have to think about hunting differently and, and who is, who are the ambassadors for hunting um, and try to figure out how do we get into these subcultures to try to make hunters out of the, out of these, you know, you know, other pockets of, of culture that we don't infiltrate. Like, I think Cameron Haynes is a great ambassador because the running community, he is a great ambassador for the running community because I'm sure he's turned people onto hunting that were runners and never had a thought of hunting before until they realized yeah. he's a hunter. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So he's a great example of that. But it's like we should have guys who are skateboarding. We should have guys who are snowboarding like to infiltrate these these subcultures. And then and I won't, I'll, I'll quit my diatribe after this last statement. But the other <laughs> thing that I noticed too was just, you know, I grew up in the punk rock music scene right before I became, you know, a musician whenever I got older and that's what I did for a living for a while. But whenever I was in the punk rock music scene growing up, like, you know, by coming up in a subculture like that, it's like, or skateboarding. Cause even when, before skateboarding got really popular, like I started skating in like the early nineties and stuff like that. And it was, you know, even though those things went mainstream, right? Cause punk rock bands all of a sudden were on MTV and skateboards you could buy at target and Walmart and stuff like that. And so it went mainstream, but even after it went mainstream and people made money, there was always this, still this underground subculture of it that kept it kind of clean, if you will, to like the ethos of the, of the subcultures, you know, I guess their original existence. Yeah. And it's one of the, and the reason they've existed for so long and, and kind of coming up in it is that the people at the top of the subculture were never interested in forcing their views of how the culture should evolve onto the subculture. They were always interested in watching the, the culture continue to change from the bottom up. So the new people who were coming into it, changing it and see however they see fit. And so you would always see, even though punk rock became mainstream and, you know, like those bands kind of quote unquote kind of died off, right. As this new genre or this new group of like, you know, um, you know, young punk rockers started kind of evolving what punk rock was going to be. And so the subculture always stayed strong. There's still like, a very song, strong subculture there that people identify with, you know? And yeah. what's different about hunting though, is that the culture is pushed from the top down. It's those who have, who have and can are those who kind of decide what, what hunting is going to be as opposed to letting it kind of evolve from the ground up. And those who are in, becoming introduced to hunting as new hunters, evolving it into in, taking it to a new place. It seems like we're very much against it, it changing. You know, a great example is Sunday hunting in Pennsylvania. Like, people were like vehemently opposed to having Sunday hunting in Pennsylvania. And I'm like, I just don't understand why it's like, if it helps people who otherwise wouldn't be able to get out into the woods, get out into the woods. Like why would yeah. you want to do it? It's because you want to keep it what, what it's always been for you, but hey, you're closer to dying than you are living. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> at, the, at that age. Exactly. So let the young people, let the young people figure out what it's going to be for them for the next 50 years. Um, and so that to me is like one of the big, I think misses, at least in my opinion, and I could be a hundred percent wrong, but, it was just some things that I've thought about, you know, over the, the past six months. Yeah, no, that's really, that's really good stuff. And I think we need, again, more of that. And I think us as the hunting community can always do more. We can always give back. We can always promote more of the, of this lifestyle. And I think that's a good, 
kind of segue, I think, into Skull Brew Coffee. Because when you told me about that from the beginning, I thought it was such a cool concept and, and what you're doing to help give back and promote the the community. So let's let's kind of transition there because this this is I'm excited about this and and I love what you're doing. So talk to us a little bit about Skull Brew and and what it is and maybe how you got it started. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess at the at the very high level, it was it's it's a it's a coffee brand, an online coffee company. We will have some you know farmers market and stuff like that that my wife and I started together. Um, to give back to conservation. And, and really what happened was, was that, you know, I guess a year or so ago, last turkey season, I think, I took a buddy of mine that I worked with hunting for the first time. Because, you know, it was, you know, as I started getting a little older and started thinking about some of these cultural things that we were talking about, I've started to kind of challenge myself to kind of walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Yeah. Um, you know, because I think a lot of people say a lot of the right things, you know, in a lot of different forums and stuff like that. But whenever you get right down to brass tacks, it's like, are they living, are they living the words that they speak, you know? And I'm always wanted to be one of those people that lived the words that he spoke, you know? Um, and so as that was becoming more and more important to me, the, the, the cultural side of, of hunting and the conservation side of hunting, you know, I introduced my friend Trevor to, to hunting last year and that was a really great experience. He loved it. Um, you know, is now doesn't hunt as much. Well, I don't know that he hunted this year, but he's definitely kind of taken up fly fishing. So he's in the outdoors, right? Nice. Which is which is you know what I was kind of shooting for. Um, I think we'll get him out into a goose blind this this winter, but you know he's definitely into the fly fishing thing. Um, you know, and so I, I did that, and, and and that was a result of me kind of looking in the mirror, saying like, "Are you doing as much as you can possibly do?" You know, when you talk about conservation and and helping hunting as a culture, and the answer was no. And so I found an adult to take hunting because that's kind of the quickest way to get more money and people involved in hunting that take people who have disposable income, who have cars can get themselves to and from and introduce them to hunting. Cause they can kind of take it from there. So I did that. And so then I started thinking about like, well, what was the next thing? Like, you know, what could I do more of, you know? And, um, you know, it's sometimes hard to find the, always find the time necessarily to take a new person out hunting or find someone who's willing, right. It's like, you got to kind of, you know, find a willing prospect, which is sometimes easier said than done. And, I was like, you know, how can I give back more to conservation? You know, I only have X amount of money that I can donate to the different charitable things that my wife and I like to donate to. I was like, it'd be great if I could figure out a way to donate more of, you know, funds to something that I'm passionate about. So I started thinking about it and started thinking about, well, how can I use my talents that I have to, to do something like that? And I work in marketing and advertising, like I'd mentioned. And I was like, you know what? I should start a company that is geared and built on the premise of giving back to conservation. You know, I was like, that would be a nice way to do it. And then, then it was like, well, what's the, what's the product? You know, what is it I'm going to do? <laughs> um, and my wife and I are really into coffee and we were actually in Annapolis last year, um, uh, for the, a friend of ours, uh, son was graduating from the Naval Academy and we went to like this little coffee shop and I had talked to a friend of mine like a couple months before that. And we were just kind of, you know, pine this guy's like, I was like, man, I'd love to have a coffee shop. You know, like, maybe one day I'll have one. And then we were in Annapolis at this coffee shop drinking good coffee, and it just kind of dawned on me, and I was like, we should start a coffee business. I was like, to support conservation. My wife was like, seriously? I was like, seriously. She's like, let's do it. I was like, all right. And then from there, Skull Brew Coffee was born, and that was and that. Was that. And we donate you know, 10% of our, of our profits back to conservation. You know, When you buy coffee from us, you can uh, choose where you want it to go. We have a couple different partners that we – uh, that, we, that we send money to based on uh, our, our orders. And it's, uh, you know, RMEF, QDMA, uh, BHA, 
and the Nature Conservancy. And we wanted to have one in there specifically that was non-hunting specific, um, just because the idea is to try to get people who are non-hunters and hunters to recognize that we like the same things, we want the same things, we want clean air, we want clean water, we want wild places to remain wild and free. Um, and hopefully, you know, Skull Brew Coffee can do its little part in helping to facilitate that conversation as, as well as to donate money back to some organizations that help us, you know, facilitate that, that, uh, manifestation of that dream. That's super cool, man. That's a, that's a really great story. And again, it's all about conservation and giving back and, and doing more. So like right now you're just doing your, your roasting and your packaging and your shipping online. You, you don't currently have like a coffee shop or, or something, you know, like a standalone store, correct? Uh, is that mm. something that's going to be long-term or what's the, what's the plan there? Right. So yes. So right now it's like, we're just, it's all strictly, it's all strictly online. Um, it's a direct to consumer brand. We are, um, going to be starting to do some festivals and some farmers markets around our area. So if you live in and around the, the Bucks County or, you know, Pennsylvania near Philadelphia area, we'll be at some different festivals during the course of the summer and some farmers markets throughout the summer, some fall festivals and stuff like that. Those will be really the only on-site things that we're going to do. We do have, you know, pie in the sky plan is to eventually have uh you know a a a coffee kind of shop place where we kind of do everything Um, yeah but we're not sure when that might uh when that might you know kind of manifest itself right now we're you know we launched in february um we had a great response to it uh so we were super you know appreciative of everyone's support and uh you know and and the kind words people had for us um, but we also want to make sure that we're you know kind of doing things the the right way and we're not necessarily looking to take over the world. That's not our mission. Um, you know, our goal is to just give back, um, as much as we possibly can and hopefully be the conduit that I had spoke of, you know, previously. And, and if the stars align, um, for us to where we can kind of make it more and, and give back more then we would certainly want to do that. Um, but we're still, but we're also trying to make sure that we have what we, what we are doing is that we can actually manage it and manage it well. Um, cause the last thing I want to do is to, it to turn into kind of a, uh, you know, a disaster, <laughs> so to speak, you know, <laughs> from biting off more than you can chew, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm very, mi- I'm very mindful of that. Um, cause I'd rather do something small long-term than something big short-term. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's, and that's kind of, you know, I guess, I guess more my, my perspective, but, uh, but yeah, I mean the pie in the sky dream is one day to have, have that and. I can retire and, and sip coffee and tell hunting stories at the, at the roastery. That's the plan. <laughs> That's the dream, right? Well, I, I just right. think it's really cool that you, you know, you've combined a few of your favorite things, right? Like, you know, you love coffee and you love that aspect of it. You love conservation and, and giving back and doing more and you love hunting and you really have this kind of, you know, trifecta of, of three things coming together. And I'm a big believer of when you align your passions and your, and your hobbies with a career, although, you know, the money might not be there at the beginning and, and it shouldn't be about that. Uh, life is short. I think you should follow your dreams and, and do what you want to do. But you know, when you, when you find that path and you find that passion, I think there's success that comes with it. And I think there's a lot of people that can align themselves with, with something like this. And, and I think it's cool, man. Props to you. Uh, you're going down an unknown road, but you know, I think, I think it's going to be something big and something really cool. And I'm really glad to be a part of it as well. Yeah, man. I appreciate, I appreciate your support. I think, you know, one of the other things that's important to me, you know, just with that, you know, business endeavor in general is, you know, um, it, it opens up a conversation for, 
our household more regularly um, to have conversations about conservation and just and wild places and animals and hunting and stuff like that with my daughter, right? Because she's at that yeah. kind of transitional age where she's ten, going getting ready to turn eleven, and you know, hunting you know isn't as cool as it was when she was younger, right? Because you know she was kind of into it, and now she's you know she's getting older. Her friends don't do it, so she's less interested in it, you know. And so it allows me. And look, I, I would love for her to hunt, and maybe she will when she gets older. Maybe she'll be passionate about it. I don't want to force anything on her because I don't want her to despise it because I made her do it. But these conversations now come up naturally in our home because of the coffee business, you know, and she'll ask about, you know, hey, we're donating this to this, you know, what do they do? And so then I can talk to her about BHA, you know, or I can talk to her about the, you know, the Nature Conservancy, you know, or, you know, we, I have my Backcountry Hunters and Anglers uh, magazine came the one day and there was a great article on it. I forget what the article was about, but I thought she would enjoy it because she loves animals, you know, and so I, I told her to, to read it. And so she read it, you know what I mean? So it helps yeah. us have conversations like that to where, you know, she knows that these things are important. Um, you know, it's just, it's just, it's innate in her because that she's just constantly around it with my wife and I. Um, and so it's not just about giving back. I saw, and this wasn't the intent, but I saw a broader opportunity where, you know, yes, we're giving back financially, which is great, you know, and, and I love that we are able to do that. But I'm also kind of setting up the right perspective for someone else who's going to be the next generation of people who are going to be the ones who are protecting these places. Um, and so to me, that is equally as important because hopefully my daughter is then able to influence her friends as she gets older and she realizes the importance of it. Because right now she's re- really just gathering the knowledge, the information, the understanding. And then hopefully as she gets older, you know, she'll be you know, a leader among her friends uh, and influential and is able to kind of help steer them to have the right mindset and the right perspective. So that's really cool. I didn't even think about that, but it totally makes sense. I mean, you know, I've got plans. I want to give bags of coffee out for Christmas gifts to my family and friends. And, you know, it's a great, like you said, it's a great conversation piece to kind of not necessarily talk about hardcore hunting. Cause when I meet somebody like yourself or, you know, some of my buddies that right. are really into hunting, that's just, we just dive into so many just things, just hunting related. And, yeah. but for the, for the average person that doesn't hunt, um, you know, kind of the, the, the majority, I would say the U S I mean, there's just a lot of people that just don't know much about it. And I think having something like this is a great segue or kind of bridging the gap and talking about some of these things. This is why we hunt. This is why we do it. This, you know, part of this goes back to help support that and the animals and the wildlife and the mm-hmm. environment and all that stuff. So I didn't even think about that, but that's a really cool point. Yeah, I mean, the one thing is, too, man, is like, you know, folks out there listening are like, you know, you know, because this is the same thought I had. It's like, you know, when I started thinking about trying to do something, you know, bigger to, to give back, it was like one of those things like, man, I need another responsibility. Like, I need a hole in the head. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like time <laughs> is job, you know, career, you know, family, hunting. It was like, you know, we were just talking about like prioritizing hunting so I could get out more and stuff like that. And here I am taking on like this this new thing. Um, but you know, I'm actually working on an article about using your natural talents to give back, you know, cause if you're out there listening and you're like, I would love to do something like that, but I don't know anything about marketing or I don't know how to build a website or I don't like, and that's fine. But like everyone has a skill set that applies to conservation. I, I fully believe that. And I was writing this article about it and you know, whether you're a, a logger or a farmer or whatever, it's like, if you're a logger, I'm sure there's like, if you know if you live in the midwest or the east i'm sure there's a qdma co-op somewhere that would love to have your knowledge to come walk their their timber and tell them 
from a forestry perspective, like where they, what select cuts they should be doing to help their enhance their habitat or whatever. Like, so I think everyone's skills translate in some way, shape or form. If you're a CPA that's into hunting, like contact, like one of your, you know, local conservation groups and see if they need any help, you know, balancing their books or whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's all kinds of ways to get involved. Um, you know, the one thing that, you know, when, when I started kind of, I guess, you know, writing this, this article and was trying to think about, you know, different ways people can give back. The one thing my wife and I did, and we did this as we launched the, the coffee company, and this is something anybody can do. And we kind of, we did it on purpose, but it was kind of an accident too. We had a wine tasting at our house and, and that was purposeful. And we found a wine company and I'll just give them a shameless plug here because I think they're, they're cool. But they're called <laughs> one, they're one hope wine. And they, they, all their profits or not all their profits, but a percentage of their profits go to charitable organizations. So they might help like kids with, you know, uh, blindness or they might help, help kids that are going through cancer treatment or whatever the case is. It's built on the foundation of like charitable, uh, giving back to charitable, uh, organizations. Um, and so we brought them in and they, they supplied all the wine for our wine taste. And then what we did was we actually then prepared a bunch of different wild game to pair with the wine, with, with the different wines. And so we had a wild game and wine pairing. And then we invited some friends over. So I invited my one buddy Wilson over, who's a hunter. And then we basically invited a bunch of other of our, our friends around us that were either like non-hunters and in one case specifically like against hunting, right? And brought them over to try different wines, different wild game, and then serve them coffee at the end. And the night ended up just being a lot of discussion around like, you know, why I hunt? How do I hunt? Where did this meat come from? You know, it was just... And we feel basically Wilson and I were the only two hunters. So we filled it all the questions. And by the time people left, like the person who came in as an anti hunter was like, this is like one of the best wine, like tastings I've ever gone to. She's like, and I would love to do something like this at our house. Would you, would you guys come over? And I was like, a hundred percent, you know, absolutely would come over. Um, and the cool thing was, was that all the wine that was bought at our wine tasting, we were able to decide with, you know, one hope wines. One, one of the things they do is you can decide what, uh, uh, nonprofit or charitable organization you'd like a portion of the sales from your wine tasting at your home to go to. So we picked a conservancy that was local to us, you know what I mean? And gave back to conservation that way. And so we killed a couple birds with one stone there. It's like we had a wine tasting that we sold wine and we gave a portion of the wine sales back to conservation. We had great conversation around conservation because of what the event had. And because we were serving wild game that we knew the conversation or the topic would come up. And we had meaningful and open dialogue with people who are at varying levels of have very varying levels of comfort with the idea of hunting. And we changed minds and we put hunting in the right light and made sure to represent it the right way. That way they would have the right interaction with a hunter as opposed to a bad interaction with a hunter. And so it's, it's things like that that people can do that you don't have to stroke a big check. You don't have to do any of that. You can throw a party like that, have some fun, have some wine, get a little tipsy, talk a little conservation, honey, and everyone feels good about it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really cool, man. That's a really good story. And again, another example of how you can, what you can do to to help promote and and give back and and from every perspective. So that's that's really neat. Um, so how did how did you come up with the name Skull Brew Coffee? Where where does that all come from? <laughs> yeah, so it's one of my many. Uh, you you know me pretty well, man. It's like I'm always into something. It's like I always have, have a project of some sort, right? So yep. it actually was – it came – the name came from a project that I had started, which is still somewhat ongoing, but it's I'm not really meeting it with any 
with any, uh, you know, at a fevered pitch, I guess you could say. It's definitely not at that. But I had this idea where I got real into, like, um, I, I like the way European mounts look, right? And so I started reading about European mounts, and I was like, man, I was like, I could make these. I'd like to do this, you know? And so the idea was originally where I was like, you know what? I can do some European mounts. You know, I'll get, get some uh, uh, domestic beetles. I'll make an environment for them, keep them in the garage. And I'll do some European mounts every hunting season for the bunch of the buddies that I have and stuff like that and make some side money. And I was like, and then the goal will be is like, I'll just put all that side money aside as like, and eventually that'll, I'll use that to start working on opening a coffee business. Like that was the plan. Right. Yeah. And so it was just one of those things where I, I got the Beatles and I did a European mount for myself. And I think I did one for, for a buddy. Um, and, and then I ended up going away to hunt and my heater, um, unplugged in their environment and then they froze to death and died so sad story for the beetles but that was kind of where the <laughs> name came from because it was like i was making these skulls and so when we decided we were going to do this coffee business i was trying to come up with a name and my wife and i were driving down the road and i was like what should we call this thing we were kicking a bunch of names around and she just looks at me she's like you should you should call it skull brew coffee and i was like why that she was like well because you were going to use the skulls to pay for a coffee business at some point she's like you just decided to do it before you had any money <laughs> so i was like <laughs> I was like, oh, cool, yeah. I was like, it's a great name, and that's literally how it kind of how it came about because it came from the idea of doing European European mounts. Yeah, but, no, that's that's super cool. Yeah, but I just didn't have enough patience to wait for the European mount thing to actually make me any money. I just decided to go in in it all all in on my own. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a super cool name, and and I really love it because it's again kind of you know, showing the hunting side of it, but with a, with a higher purpose. And, and, and we talked already about kind of, you know, what makes you different in the form of giving back and conservation and, and all the things that you're doing on that, that aspect. But talk to us a little bit about like some things you were doing differently with the coffee uh, side of things. I know like each bag's roasted to order. So everything's fresh. You offer monthly yep. subscriptions. Uh, yep. Talk to us a little bit more about the business and the product side. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as the business, like the business model, like I said, it, it's online, right? And, and our whole concept is, you know, we have a roasting partner um, that does all of our roasting for us. They're local to my wife and I. So they're just right down the road from us, which is why we, well, there's a couple of reasons why we partnered with them. Number one was um, they were close in proximity so we could kind of control uh, the, 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 the quality control of things. Number two was we kind of lucked out to where, you know, the woman who does the roasting. So roasting for those that are not, you know, intimately knowledgeable of, of, of you know, coffee and roasting and so forth is it's to have really good coffee is is an art. You know, it's a skill that's acquired. And so it was one of those things that we had to make a decision early on whether or not we were going to just kind of go for it. And I was going to do the roasting because I was roasting at home on my own. Um, and I do a pretty good job. Right. But I also didn't want to put out something that was not less than you know, less than the best essentially. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we started talking about it and it was just, you know, we could either wait, you know, the one to two, however long it would take me to become confident enough to know that I was going to put out a great product. Um, or the other option is we could start now and find people that we could partner with for the long term. you know, that were close to us. And, you know, if, if they were, had, had quality, the other part of it too, is, is just finding quality beans. Like that's not just like throwing a rock out into like a, you know, out into a stream, like, and you hit water, you know what I mean? Like finding premium beans, like the best of the best is, is it can be difficult. It's a commodity. The prices fluctuate. Right. So you all, we also wanted to work with someone who had great relationships with, uh, you know, with, with farmers and in, in these different countries so we could get, you know, the, the best of the best beans. 
And so there happened to be a roaster that was close to us. Um, and I went and had a meeting with them along with a couple other, you know, um, uh, a couple other, you know, uh, businesses and the woman who kind of did the roasting here and kind of built the business, you know, she used to work for a large, um, a large coffee company and everyone would know, would know the name it's located in the Pacific Northwest. And she, (laughs) (laughs) she, she started very, very early in the company's uh, existence and kind of grew with the company and ended up going on to do a lot of global stuff for them. And one of her jobs was to build relationships with these different farmers in all these different countries, right? To source all their, all their, all their beans. And, you know, what I learned from her and what she educated me on was that only 13% of beans in the entire world, roughly are, are considered quote unquote premium. They come from certain farms that are, you know, that meet certain criteria to be premium beans. And she's like, most people, when you see on their bag that they tell you they're selling you premium coffee, it's not true because she, you know, she has insider information as to how much these farmers can produce in fact, and who has the relationships with them and who they're, who else is sourcing from them. Um, and so, you know, she retired at a very early age, like mid thirties and started this, this roastery as kind of like a hobby. And then and it grew and, and she's very skilled at what she does. That's kind of why it grew. But she maintained all the relationships with all the premium farms that she had. And so that kind of coupled with her knowledge of, of roasting long term is why we kind of chose to work with them versus waiting for me to kind of gain, gain the skill set. And so we you know, went with someone who was smaller like us, um, that puts the customer first, um, that gets the best beans you can possibly get, um, does a great job of controlling the quality. Um, but then also, you know, as you'd mentioned, like it's roast to ship. Like we only roast twice a week. So if you order on a Monday you know, and, and we roast on Tuesday, your beans get sent out Tuesday after we roast like the same day. If you order on wow. Tuesday, Tuesday after it's been roasted, you know, we aren't going to send you beans that we just had laying around somewhere. We're going to roast on Thursday, which is our second day that we roast. And then we're going to send out immediately after we roast on Thursday. So it's like your stuff gets roasted, gets put in the mail and gets to you, especially if you're ordering whole bean and it's like, you're drinking it straight from the, from the, uh, straight from the cow's udder, so to speak. <laughs> Yeah. So, so that was kind of, um, that was kind of like why we set it up the way we set it up because it was just, we felt like it was the, the only way that we could give folks the best of the best, um, you know, and not cut corners in, in, in that regard. And I've, I've been really happy with the, the products. They're, they're killer. They have access to, you know, all the different regions you could possibly want in terms of coffee. Um, and we've had some really good feedback where, you know, there's some, um, larger brands, you know, much larger than us that are, that are also black bag. And I've had some, you know, good feedback that we were the best black bag coffee that they've ever drank. So that's always, uh, always feels good, especially when the other one's doing, you know, bonkers business. And we're just these little guys plugging away for a good cause, you know, that we can stand up in terms of, in terms of our, uh, in terms of our quality. So that's kind of like the, I guess the business side of things, as far as products right now, we have, you know, we have backcountry roast and we have, uh, the breaks brew. And what we, two products, and we have a new one coming out hopefully within the next month. Um, and then we should have a fourth one coming out shortly thereafter. Um, but the, what we try to do is we try to pair the coffees uh, and the naming convention of the coffee with like a specific kind of animal. So for the Brakes Brew, um, you know, of course, the Missouri Brakes is very popular for hunting of all types, you know, whitetail included. And so that one's a whitetail because it represents like some great whitetail, a great whitetail hunting area right around the Missouri Brakes. And then we have the backcountry roast, which, you know, I had the opportunity to have a great backcountry elk hunt. And so that is represented by an elk European mount, and that's the backcountry roast. And that one is a uh, Guatemala Antiguan coffee, which is super smooth uh, and kind of chocolatey. 
and then the uh, the breaks brew is a is a Colombian, uh, and uh, and that one is what you would expect from a Colombian. It's it's bold, earthy, um, and and a killer coffee. I kind of prefer the Antiguan. Uh, it just kind of tickles my fancy more so. Um, but they're both great. And then we are going to have a Ethiopian Harar come out, which is um, which is called the uh, uh, Skullbrew uh, uh, Coffee Company High Country Roast, and that one will be represented by a ram's head. Um, and we just want nice. to do something a little different. Ram, you know, hunting, uh, uh, hunting those types of, you know, extreme, you know, high country environments for those types of animals is a kind of a select kind of specific uh, type of experience. And so we wanted to go with a select different kind of experience coffee as well. And the African coffees are really kind of interesting. Um, and this is an Ethiopian Harar. And uh, it's, it's, you know, everything you would expect from it. It's really kind of clean. Um, African coffees typically have a little bit more acidity. This one holds true to that. Um, but if you do it as a pour over, you also like the, the fruity notes kind of come out a lot more than if you do it in a normal drip. Um, it's still great during, you know, with, with a drip, it also makes, I made cold brew with it and the cold brew with that was excellent. It was killer. So we have that coming out and then we will soon also have a, what we're calling, we're going to call kind of our, we haven't named it officially yet, but it's going to be kind of like campfire coffee, I think, where it's going to be more of like your, your breakfast, uh, blend coffee, um, which is just going to be your normal, you know, starter day, everyday drinker, um, if you will. Um, and that will hopefully come out in the not so distant future as well. Cause we wanted to have something that was more camp oriented. So that'll be that hopefully in the next six to eight weeks, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, when, when you sent me that first bag of coffee, I, you sent me the back country roast had an elk on it. Love it. Yep. Uh, yep. I'm, I'm a big fan of elk hunting, obviously, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I tried that and, and, you know, I, I really, I'm not gonna like talk about something that, you know, it's like just mediocre, like you said, Right. but it really did blow me away. I was like, man, this is really, really good coffee. I'd put it up there with anything I've ever had. And I don't consider myself like a freaking coffee snob by any right. means, but I know what's good and I know what's bad. Uh, right? right. I'm not like, I can't pick apart the different notes and, and all these di- different subtleties, like some people who really know what they're talking about and, and, and have lived that. But like for, for the most part, um, I know again, what I like, what I don't like. And, and I really did love it. It's, it's a, it's a great product. And I think that means <laughs> you can, you can be all for conservation and, and giving back all you want. But if the product sucks, like just people right. aren't going to buy it, they're not going to support it. And, and this does right. not suck. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's one of those things where, I mean, I forgot to mention, I mean, it's all small batch roasted too. So it's not like, it's not like we're throwing like a thousand pounds or I, I, not even a hundred pounds into roast at, at, a, at a, in a given roast. You know what I mean? It's yeah. all small batch. It's all, you know, um, everything that we're doing with the exception of the campfire coffee that will come out, you know, hopefully in the next six to eight weeks, we'll, you know, every, everything else that we do is all single origin, you know, so we really don't do, you know, blends other than this one, than this one product that we're going to do. Um, you know, and so that's kind of, I mean, that's for us is the way that we can make sure that we have, the best product that we can have, give people the best coffee experience. Cause I mean, the whole idea is that, I don't know, for me, you know, drinking coffee is, you know, I drink coffee even whenever I'm hunting, like in the, wherever I'm at, I have to have a cup of coffee in the morning. And so the whole idea is that hopefully we can make a, you know, help people have a cup of coffee good enough that allows them to kind of go in their mind's eye back to an experience that they had somewhere. Um, and hopefully they'll take us, you know, hopefully we'll not going to let the cat out of the bag too much, but hopefully we'll have something that will be, um, hunter, hunter and uh, hiking friendly at some point we're working on something we'll see how quickly it can how quickly it can happen um but 
the hope is, is that when we do have that, that people will take us on their experiences and that, you know, when they come back home and they, and they have that cup of backcountry coffee or whatever, that it allows them to kind of go back to that spot, even if it's just for a moment and then kind of always keep conservation at the forefront of their mind. Um, that way it doesn't ever kind of slip. So that's kind of the, it's kind of the goal of it might be kind of hokey, but I think it's something we're shooting for. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and somebody can go on the website and they can basically get a monthly subscription, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We have a, you know, my wife's a big Amazon user, so she wanted, she had to, had to have a subscribe and save for people. <laughs> so that yeah. is a, that, that's her doing it, you know, which was a great idea, you know, so it's one of those things like I'm forgetful when I order stuff. So, you know, it, for folks that are maybe a little bit forgetful or just want to know that the coffee's going to show up on time, you can subscribe, you get a little bit of a discount. If you subscribe, um, you enter in your information and then you can kind of select whether you want your coffee to show up, you know, whether you want one, two, three bags, whatever the case is, you know, every 14 days, every 21 days or every 30 days that way you make sure that you don't ever uh, run out and just kind of takes the guesswork out of it. it. Just shows up at your doorstep. You got fresh coffee and you're ready to rock. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Um, well, cool, man. Well, it's it's something that, you know, again, I, I wouldn't have you on here to talk about it if I didn't truly believe in it. And I think it I think what you're doing is 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 great. I think we need more of it. You're providing a great product. You know, coffee's something that everybody can get behind, especially good coffee. And then, you know, you're throwing in the conservation aspect. And I think that's that's really neat. We need more more of that, more people like you, more businesses like you. And in in that same kind of standpoint you've also you're two percent for conservation certified correct yeah yeah we got two percent certified we worked with jared and the and the folks at two percent they were super helpful and awesome uh there's a lot of great businesses that are that are part of that so we're happy to be part of that family and then we we also sponsor the uh uh the the pennsylvania chapter of the backcountry hunters and anglers um so we'll actually be at they have so i'm sure everyone's aware that they do their big you know rendezvous out out west every year and so this year they're doing their first, it'll be their largest East Coast gathering that they've ever put on. I think it's June 22nd and 23rd. It's called Muster in the Mountains in Morris, Pennsylvania. Um, and so we sponsored the, the PA chapter and we'll actually be at that event selling coffee and talking conservation. And, wow, and I'll be cool. There, I'll be there podcasting too. So yeah, it's a, it's a cool thing, man. It's just, you know, it's, it, it helps us get involved. It's a family friendly event. So it's, it, as I'd mentioned earlier, it's, it's just cool because I'm able to include my daughter and my family in, in these things, which is just makes it that much more special that we can kind of do these things together. And it's, and it's good work that we're trying to do. So. Heck yeah. I love it. I love it. So tell us, tell us about where we can go to find more information. Tell us about the website, social media, all the stuff where we can look you up. Sure. So it's uh skullbrewcoffee.com is the website. You go on there, place your order. We'll get it shipped out to you. Uh, freshy fresh. And uh, we have an Instagram, which is just Skull Brew Coffee or at Skull Brew Coffee. Uh, Facebook page are the two places where you can find us uh, most readily. We'd love, you know, if, if you do get a chance to try it, it'd be great if you'd leave us a review on the website. We always like to hear uh, what folks have to say about it, good or bad. You know, we want to hear all we want to hear all the feedback. And uh, those are the, the main two places. But before, you know, I know we're getting up on probably time here, but, you know, if you if you'd like to, uh, we could go ahead and do a a giveaway of some coffee here today to make sure we get some in the hands of the uh, transition wild listeners. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to, man. I, I I'm a bit, I, any product company I have on, I usually try to <laughs> see if we can yeah. throw a little freebie <laughs> giveaway in there. So I'm all for that. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can do that. We'll just do something, you know, whether you, I mean, we can probably just put it in the Instagram post of some sort, you know, just 
like the post, share it, something like that, get people to listen to to this yeah. podcast, and you know we'll do something like that, and um and uh and and, and we'll give some coffee away. That sounds good, man. Yeah, we'll come up with the rules to entry, and and uh, we'll we'll get some coffee in 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 some of these listeners' hands. It'd be cool. Dig it, man. Dig it. What are you up to, man? How how's your how's your prep for the season going? Man, it's uh pretty much non-existent <laughs> right now. I, you know, I've done a little bit of shed hunting and I've gotten out, found a few elk antlers, found, you know, eight or nine probably mule deer sheds, nothing, nothing great, but it, it still feels good to get out and, and walk. And kind of like what, what you were alluding to more at the beginning in regards to turkey hunting, like I, if I'm going to go turkey hunting, it's usually like paired because I'm, I'm, I'm scouting or I'm trying to go shed hunting and, I, and I'll just bring yeah. the, bring something with me. But, um, you know, I haven't had a ton of time lately this spring, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's always fun to get out when you can. So it's yeah, been good. Yeah, I hear that. I hear yeah, that. Yeah, we'll have to have, sure. we'll have to have you on, have to have you on the, on the truth show and do, and do a catch up here soon so I can, uh, pick your brain a little bit about what's going on in that. And I need to pick your brain about some, uh, Colorado hunting whenever I get ready to come out to see you here next year. So we'll have Heck to do yeah. that. Can't wait. Yeah. Let's, let's make it happen soon. Clint. For sure, man. Well, cool. Well, again, always a pleasure. Had a great time talking with you, Clint, and, uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate it. All right. And there it is. Another episode in the books. Big thanks to Clint for coming on the show. My friend, my brother, always a pleasure having you on. And I hope you guys enjoyed that. I, I really learned a lot from Clint in the standpoint of like, hey, I know we can do more. I know I can do more. Uh, I need to start figuring out ways to give back. And as Clint illustrated in the podcast, there's there's just a lot of little things that you can do to to help talk about hunting in in a light to people that really don't have any idea or maybe some misconceptions about it. So there's always ways to give back. There's always a way to spread the word. And uh, Clint is is doing a hell of a job. So hats off to him. Make sure you check out Skull Brew Coffee. It's really, really good good stuff. This is handmade quality shit we're talking here. I mean, what what can't you love about Skull Brew Coffee? It's, it's giving back to conservation. You're getting good coffee. It's got cool packaging. What's not to love? So <laughs> definitely give them some love. Uh, as mentioned, Clint, in the episode, he wants to do a giveaway. So here are the rules to enter. Three things. All you have to do is like the Instagram post that mentions this podcast, tag two friends in the comments, and then follow Transition Wild and Skull Brew Coffee on Instagram. So again, three things to enter. Like the Instagram post that mentions this podcast, tag two friends in the comments of the post, and then make sure you're following Transition Wild and Skull Brew Coffee. That is it. So I hope you guys win. I hope, uh, you know, I hope you get to try this coffee. And if you don't win, make sure you go to skullbrewcoffee.com and, and order a couple bags for yourself. I, uh, I really, really enjoy it. So um, I hope you win again. All right, that is it. Thanks again to our sponsors, Expedition Archery, Skull Brew Coffee, and our latest, Outdoor Edge. So make sure you give everybody some love and, and check out those companies because they mean a lot to me. They support me. So I hope you guys support them. All right, that is it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.